that was a long passage. Thank you for reading it all, Wendy. Um, yes, there is so much going on in John 11. So much happens in this passage. We learn more about Jesus and his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We hear about Thomas and the disciples. And we even hear about the people around them and how they deal with grief. The passage covers sickness, death, healing, and everlasting life. So one of the things I really want to focus on is all of the emotions that are in this passage. I almost want to go back to my Bible and I write in my Bible. I almost want to go back and like write little emojis and smiley faces and upset faces and angry faces all over it, just so I can remember what Jesus was feeling at all these different places. Sometimes he was patient and calm. Sometimes he was politely cryptic. Sometimes he was very straightforward and blunt. Uh, he says he was glad in this passage, but I don't think he meant happy. He was thankful, thankful to God. And he was clearly heartbroken and sad. He was frustrated, troubled, and even indignant and angry. All of those in 45 verses. Jesus feels. Now, at first, you might, if you read this passage for the first time, you might think, what's Jesus doing? He's not feeling. He gets this message from the sisters, Mary and Martha, and he acts very calm and patient. He says, Lazarus' sickness won't end in death. Why? Maybe the disciples thought Lazarus was just going to get better, but Jesus knew what was going to happen. But he was calm and patient. Two days later, two days, he decided it was time to go see the friends. And when they arrive, Jesus is already dead and he's been in the tomb for four days. Martha comes out to see him. And Martha is sad, but we know Martha from previous stories that Martha is very practical and calm. And she, she talks to Jesus in just a very logical way, and he echoes that right back to her. He meets her where she is. She says, Jesus, if you were here, Lazarus would not have died. But even so, I know God will give you anything that you ask. Perhaps she was frustrated, even angry with Jesus, but she's Martha, so she's practical. And um, remember, when we did first meet Martha in the Bible, she's the one that was cooking and taking care of things and watching over all of the details. So even now, with her brother's death and her grief, she's trying to make sense of it all in her own way. Sometimes I am a Martha, especially in a crisis. Um, I'm the one that's calm, um, trying to figure out what needs to be done. One time when I was um, younger, I was working at a camp for kids with um, spina bifida. And a lot of children used wheelchairs to get around. And um, I was there for three summers in a row. And the second or third summer, we were having a training for the new counselors. And um, 
And I was with a bunch of the counselors in the dining hall, and we heard an alarm go off. And even though there was no campers there, um, you know, alarm's alarm. And everybody wanted to go rush down to, to the dormitories to find out what had happened and make sure everyone was okay. But I, I knew what was, I knew what, what we should be doing, and we had just talked about this. So I said, wait, wait, before you rush down there, let's think this, think this through. Um, we're only supposed to send two or three to that alarm, and then the rest of us, we're supposed to do these other jobs to make sure everyone is safe. So that's what we did. Well, it turns out the camp director had set off the alarm. I had foiled her plan because she actually wanted everybody to rush down there. She wanted chaos and confusion, and she wanted everyone to, to feel that kind of rush of emotion and then realize what they were jumping into wasn't the right plan. So I was Martha to her, and um, we had a different kind of safety drill that day. Martha. She is continually sorting these things out with her brother's death. She says to Jesus, she says, Lazarus will rise again. And, oh, sorry, Jesus says Lazarus will rise again. And Martha, in her practical reply, says, yes, Lazarus will rise with everyone um, on the day of resurrection, on the last day. But Jesus turns this around, and he says that he is the resurrection. He is the life. And everyone that believes in him, even though they die, shall live. And everyone who lives and believes will never die. Martha lets Jesus know that she believes him. Yes, okay, I can agree with this. And, and even says, um, I know you are God's son, the Messiah. And then she goes to find Mary. And she doesn't, you know, run like to the alarm to go find Mary. She goes, goes and finds her and quietly pulls her aside. She's still being practical. And, and even though she's, she's in grief, um, she's still playing her role. Another time I was like Martha was when my grandfather had passed away, Pop-Pop. Pop-Pop um, was my mom's dad. His name was Roy, and he was very practical. He was an engineer, and um, even though his death was very sudden, we found logic in his timing. Earlier that week, just that week, um, my, he and my grandmother had gone to the doctor's office my grandmother had had surgery on her hip, and the doctor gave her the all clear. He said, you can go and do whatever you want now. You are, you're good to go. And so they were very happy. And um, I think that was on a Tuesday. And then on Thursday, he went to church in the evening, and he had been in charge of a really big project. They were getting new pew cushions. But in their church, all of their pews were in con concentric circles, or really curves. And every pew was different. Every curve was different. Every radius was different. And he had to sort all this out um, in order to get 
pew cushions that fit their beautiful pews. So he went to church and he was giving the final report because the project was done. And he goes to council and everyone's pleased and, um, and he goes home. During the night, he passes away. And so even though we were all shocked, um, he had everything in order. My grandmother was doing well. The Pew project was all done. And um, there was logic to it. And we took, we took a lot of comfort in that. I remember being in the basement of their house and um, all the family was there and we're trying to sort out what he would like for his funeral. And he had a, he had a folder in his file cabinet and in his engineering print, he wrote on it, death, so that we would know what it was when the time came. And he had notes in there. So my brother and sister and I were tasked with reading the 23rd Psalm. Many of you know my brother, Chaz, um, and my sister is Sharon, she's the middle, and I'm the oldest. So we, we split it up into thirds, the 23rd Psalm, and we, we had um, really searched to find the right translation that we wanted to say, and we actually pieced together different translations just for pop-pop. And um, through this all, I, I was very calm. I was very calm. I never cried. There was logic to all of this. And um, so we come to church, the church with the, the new pew cushions, and it's time to read the 23rd Psalm. And we had decided that my brother would go first because he was the youngest, and then myself, or them, sorry, then my sister, and then me. I would be the anchor. I would bring up the rear in case anyone had any trouble. Do you see where this is going? <laughs> yeah. So we go up there. And um, we're standing, and we're, we're reading, and my brother reads, and I am so proud of him, like I had anything to do with that, but it was great. And then my sister reads, and it was awesome. Again, I had nothing to do with that. Um, they were just great. And then it was my turn. I, I'm not sure how many words I actually got out, um, but very, very quickly, my, my throat just closed up and shut down. I couldn't form anything except sobbing. Um, I'm not sure if anyone actually finished it or if we just ended up going and sitting down. Um, I was mortified. I was embarrassed. Um, this was not my logical, practical anchor self. Um, but that is where I was. Those are the emotions that I had that day, in that moment. Um, and Jesus meets us wherever our emotions are, whether we're being practical Martha or a more emotional, outwardly emotional Mary. So back to Mary, um, she comes and finds Jesus. Does she walk there? No, she hurries, she runs, she goes and finds Jesus. And um, she rushes to Jesus, she falls at his feet, and she weeps. 
And then she says some very similar words to what Martha had said, but I think she said them completely differently. She's saying, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. She was upset, frustrated, perhaps angry, and completely heartbroken. And guess what? That's exactly what Jesus was too. That's what he had for her. He was there in that moment. He meets Mary where she is. And we know that Jesus wept. It's written there in the passage. But um, another part that sometimes I miss, I usually miss, is that he was so troubled and upset. Some translations say that he was um, deeply moved, that he was uh, indignant, even that deep anger welled up. And people will decipher his emotions differently. I have read a lot about this. And they're trying to figure out what, what was Jesus really feeling um, in this word that's been translated from Aramaic and Greek. What did he feel? Was Jesus upset that everyone else around him was upset? Was he moved by how much they all missed Lazarus? Was he frustrated because, he didn't, because they didn't think that he could help, that he could could save Lazarus now? And maybe he was angry that death existed. He was just angry at death, that people had suffered, because he knew it didn't have to be that way. I think he was also upset because even though he knew Lazarus was going to live, he knew that his friends had suffered. They had watched him um, grow weaker, and he didn't want them to have to go through that. Uh, they, they were all sick with grief. Um, Mary and Martha, they probably felt very alone. Um, but I think all of these emotions were all together um, for Mary and Martha and for Jesus too. And he met them where they were. Sometimes um, we feel these things. And I want you to know that it's okay. It's okay to have multiple emotions at the same time. It's okay to be frustrated with God, with Jesus. It's okay to cry and weep. It's okay to feel angry that we don't have this person in our life anymore that we've lost. And it's okay just to sit on the floor at Jesus' feet and cry. Oh, so Jesus feels, but also Jesus heals. Jesus heals um, people in the Bible. There's so many um, times this is documented. He heals people that were sick. He gives sight to people that couldn't see. He casts out demons. And as we're here in this building, I know that um, there have been miracles that have happened here. There have been healings right back here and in other places here at St. John. Um, 
Jesus sent the disciples out to heal others as well. And you might remember um, in Acts, there's a passage uh, where Peter is in a town and he's walking and the townspeople, they bring out the people that need healing and they bring them out to the street just in hopes that Peter's shadow will cast over them. And, and when it does, they're healed. Uh, but not all healing is quite so obvious. There are times um, when we don't see what has been healed. There are times when we don't get the healing that we think that we need. There's different kinds of healing. There's an internal healing, there's physical healing, there's spiritual healing. But rest assured, God hears us when we ask. Um, sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is, I'm going to help you a different way. And sometimes the answer is, um, just be patient and wait. Um, but I'm here with you. Um, one time, about five years ago, Ken's dad was here. Um, he was helping uh, with some things, and he fell, and he hurt his arm. And I was mortified that he would hurt his arm here while he was helping with something. And um, I prayed over that arm like you wouldn't believe. I prayed for healing, um, and comfort for him and his arm. And then they went back to Ohio. His arm still hurts. They had some x-rays. It was broken. It didn't work. I didn't heal him. Maybe that was my problem. I, I was so focused on healing, the healing that he could have in his bones. Um, I pray completely differently now when I pray for healing. Now I pray for God's healing in his time and his way. Um, because we don't always know what that's going to be. Um, you may remember um, there's a, a passage in 2 Corinthians. And it talks, and it's Paul, he's writing to the Corinthians. And he mentions an ailment that he has. He doesn't say what the ailment is, um, but he tells them, he says, I have prayed for this three times to go away, three different times. This has really been a problem for him, and he really wanted it to go away. But that is not the answer that he got. Instead, this is what he received from God. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power made you, my, for, sorry, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul writes, I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Um, I have my own healing story, 
And um, it was right after my first daughter was born and she was having such a hard time. We were taking her to the pediatrician's office every other day just to weigh her and make sure that she was getting enough nutrition and she was growing because she wasn't. It was really stressful. Um, and all of our focus was on, on getting her to grow. Also, all of my friends were at work and all of a sudden I was totally cut off. No one was texting me. We, weren't, we didn't have texting back then. I was, I was completely alone and um, heartbroken and sad. I felt like I was a terrible mother. I couldn't figure this out. And I'm worried for my daughter. Um, eventually, she, she, she started to grow. And we didn't have to go to the pediatrician's office every other day. Um, but I was still struggling with this idea that I needed to go back to work. I needed to get back to my life. That was what all of my plans were. I had it all planned out. And the real underlying problem, besides helping my daughter to be healthy, was that I wasn't healthy. I didn't know it, but I had postpartum depression. And perhaps one of the uh, reasons I didn't know it is because I had postpartum depression. I was completely out of my mind. And um, in fact, I may have shared this before, but when my daughter was 40 days old and I had cried every single day, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, this is what Noah felt like. There's no way out. This is, this is our reality. It's awful. It should be wonderful, but oh my goodness, what are we gonna do? But, as I said, things did get better. She started growing, and, um, and that was good, but I was still a mess. Um, and then one day, I can picture myself standing in the kitchen, looking out the window, and I said, okay, God, I give up. It's for you. You, you take this. You've got to figure this out. I can't do this anymore. I can't figure it out myself. I'm here. I will do everything, but I can't figure it out anymore. I'm handing my daughter over to you and, and me. In that moment, in that exact moment, my fog lifted. I was cured. Everyone I've talked to said, that doesn't happen. You can't just cure postpartum depression by saying a prayer and snapping your fingers. But I didn't, God did. And um, all of a sudden, things started to fit together the way they were supposed to be, because I let go of the plans that I had had and said, all right, let's, let's follow your plan. That was my healing. And, and it was completely hidden. No one knew. No one knew how bad I was. No one who knew how much I had been healed. Um, maybe you have a healing story yourself, something that has happened in your life. Maybe it's something visible that other people could see, or, or maybe it was something internal. 
Maybe you don't even realize that you have a healing story of your own, but I bet you do. God gives us perfect healing, and ultimately that perfect healing doesn't happen now here on earth. It happens in heaven. We are transformed. There's no more sickness or sadness, and we have eternal life in heaven. So even though we, we work for healing here, and we want that, and that is natural, and we should, um, our ultimate hope is, is in heaven with Jesus, and that we can take comfort in um, even when we're here. It's a spiritual healing and eternal life. The last story I have for you today was gifted to me by LaDonna. And LaDonna was visiting with her niece, Marissa. And Marissa's son, Jace, was there. He's only six. And they were all gathered because Marissa's grandmother had passed away. And she, she was very confused in the last years of her life. And Jace knew this, and he, he grasped it just grasped it as much as he could, as a six-year-old could. And when LaDonna and Jace were together at this gathering, Jace started asking LaDonna questions. He wanted to know about heaven. Um, what is this place? Um, what's going on? So LaDonna and Jace talked. They talked. They talked about different things. She had a video on her phone, um, and... It really helped Jace, and finally he looked at her surprised and excited, and he said, I get it. Jesus healed her mind. Jesus fixed her mind. So Jace's great-grandmother's healing didn't come here on earth, but even though she died, she lives and she's healed. Her mind is healed. Jesus healed her. He was the ultimate healing. Jesus gives us that, our, that eternal life. He, he rolls away the stone like he did for Lazarus. And I like to think when he called Lazarus out and Lazarus came, this was, this was just a glimpse of what is coming for all of us that believe. It's a glimpse of what's coming in heaven. And remember that Jesus feels just like we do, and he feels what we're feeling, and he understands. He's bringing us comfort um, and care and companionship, even, even when the healing isn't what we expect. He's bringing healing. It's not on our timing or our plan because Jesus gives us the ultimate healing that only happens when we die, when we have life with him in heaven. Thank you.